1: top v second from bottom and a stadium Bournemouth have never even earned a draw at but they're looking for an early chance there and they've got it what a start
2: how quick was that philip billy goodness me a big goal for Bournemouth big blow for Arsenal with the corner eyes 2-0 it's huge for Bournemouth Sanessi to double their advantage the cherries chastening the title chasers beyond their wildest dreams and for
0: Arsenal agony 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 agony, agony. centro de Bucayo saca cerrado el puño de Neto le va a caer a Smith Rowe Toca con la cabeza Le moment est important. Le corner est bien tiré. Nelson pour la balle de match. Nelson la frappe hey! Riz Nelson Le gamin Formé au club Héroux Dans le traditionnel Exceptionnel Guners
2: A Vichy Edgor. We belinda Nelson Probou, Probeo
0: La última, la última
2: tiene que ser de cabeza el centro, el golpe de cabeza
0: defensivo. Nelson. Gol. Gol. Del Arsenal. Anna en los Nelson. Som skjuter. Ivan. Har du på
1: magen, Tristeso.
2: The Kura Majluna, the Kura the Kura Mitlela,
0: the Kura the Kura Mitlilso, the Kura the Kura Mitlilso, the Kura the Kura Mitlilso, the Kura Mitlilso, the Kura Mitlilso, Is Arscast Extra?
2: Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James. Goodly morning, Goodly morning, Goodly morning, good Hey, I fucked it up. <laughs> I, I started <laughs> no. it right in the middle. Hang on. Goodly morning, 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 Goodly morning. Oh, oh, goodly morning. Even even uh. a technical difficulty can't put us off our stride today, James.
1: They can't, uh, to be honest, it was only building anticipation, you know, like a <laughs> DJ teasing the drop. I loved it. Uh, I was, I actually, I mean, it's, this is one of the rare occasions I wish this was a video podcast because I was, uh, really throwing some shapes to that. Uh, Getting in there. Jingle. And I have to congratulate you, Andrew, on uh, the extraordinary introduction that you've created for this episode. One fitting for the occasion.
2: I think so. I think so. Just, um, I got to give some shout-outs to, you know, everybody on Twitter and Mm. people on Reddit, on the R Gunners, who every time there's a bit of foreign commentary, tag me in or give me a a notification. And there was just so much to choose from. There were so many that I could have chosen from uh, for this weekend. I don't think I've ever seen quite as many clips of foreign commentary emerge, because normally I have to go... Uh, digging around for them, trying to find them here and there, download things, whatever it might be. But there was just so many. There was French, there was Spanish, there was Argentinian, Ukrainian, Swedish, Italian I saw, um, Japanese, Korean. Japanese, my
1: personal favourite, I think. Unbelievable.
2: I love that. I love that. Arabic. You know, there's just so much to choose from because I guess a moment like the one that we got at the end of that game is sort of – transcendent, isn't it? It doesn't matter what language uh, you're hearing, whether you understand it or not. And I don't understand most of what was on those commentaries, but it, it's all about the emotion of it, all about what that transmits. Um, I think we all understand what a, ah, means whether the person's Japanese or or Spanish or English or whatever.
1: Yeah. The girl heard around the world. I, I think What I found really telling, you know, there's that clip uh, of the Match of the Day guys in the studio and Ian Wright uh, can be seen in the corner absolutely losing his mind. But Danny Murphy, who is no great friend of uh, Arsenal historically, former Tottenham player, of course, can't help himself but sort of scream when Arsenal score that goal. (laughs) The sheer drama of it, I think it does it. You're right. It's completely transcendent. No matter who you are, what team you support, a 97th minute winner from the edge of the box to win a game in which you were 2-0 down is just one of those remarkable sporting moments. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, Andrew... This might have to be the last Starscast Extra. I don't know <laughs> if we can get many better weekends th- than this.
2: I don't know if we can. I mean, what a win for Arsenal after Manchester City had won, of course, and then Tottenham lost, and the Arsenal women. Huge shout-out to them today as well.
1: Another big comeback,
2: yeah. Yeah, they won 3-1 in the Conti Cup final to beat uh, Chelsea. Um, amazing uh, to get a trophy. And hopefully it's the first of many more for them. And then of course we had the the ridiculousness of the game at at Anfield. There there are some weekends, right? You know the You know the kind of thing that's been going, and I've said this, and I think you've said this as well, and I've heard other people talk about it, about how this is a season to be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Like as it is happening, it is a season to be enjoyed. Whatever the outcome, and I'm not sort of um playing devil's advocate or, or trying to set anybody up for a fall or whatever it might be. I just think weekends like this do not come along that often. And you have to, as a football fan, just embrace what this sport can give you because next week it could take it all away. And we all know that we all understand that we all hope it doesn't happen, but I think it's hugely important for all of us to just really enjoy This ride that we're on, I think I described it as a roller coaster in the blog yesterday. I don't know if a roller coaster is quite the right expression. Like, what's more rollery than a roller coaster? Hyper coaster. I don't know. Hyper. I don't. I just don't know how really to explain what I felt after this game, what I felt after, you know, hours and hours later, James. I'm sitting on the sofa on Saturday night waiting for match of the day and I'm just sort of. Watching things and re-watching things and listening to things and and trying to not compartmentalize, but to just try and understand how it is that this thing that happened so far away from me, but so close to me at the same time, how it can have this sort of effect on me as a person. Do you do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Because I was, I watched your video afterwards. You're on the whistle when it eventually. Um, was uploaded and you were a bit like, well, I think, I think I'm think i dead. And I, I understand completely where you were coming from.
1: <laughs> yeah, dead or dreaming. Mm. It was a pretty magical uh, experience, what happened at the Emirates Stadium this weekend. And I think you're absolutely right. We have to savour in these moments. We have to bask in them. We've waited quite a long time for them. And who knows how, how long we may wait again. And these are the moments that make everything worthwhile, that make following your team, you know, a, a worthwhile pursuit. And we we there's a danger. We get so worried about what might happen that that there's that we don't focus on enjoying what is happening. Um and it's a, it's a metaphor for life, really, you know. You, you can't focus on things too much in the future. You've got to savour the moment. And what a moment this is to be an Arsenal fan. Oh. Truly incredible. I, I haven't seen scenes like that in the Emirates Stadium. Since
2: the Man United game a few weeks ago?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. That's it. I mean, the Man United game, the Aston Villa game. Yeah. Uh, there's a 87th minute winner against Fulham, I think, right at the start of the season. Mm. If you believe in fate, then uh, <laughs> there are a lot of things seem to be lining up in favour of this team.
2: Can I um, can I give a shout out here to uh, this was I saw this on the Arses yesterday on on the site. HFB said something along the lines of. This could easily have been a routine win for Arsenal if we'd won the toss and kicked off. I mean, something as random as that, the fact that Bournemouth got the kickoff. Like, if we mm-hmm. kicked off, that game does not happen the same way. I know that's obvious, but it's just sort of like, whoa, this <laughs> this universe is weird, I think. Um, yes,
1: it is. And, and the sport is weird. Mm-hmm. You know, you can... Concede a goal in nine seconds and score one with nine seconds to go, uh, and both can completely transform the complexion of mm. a season. It is mad, and we have to kind of embrace the chaos and and try and you know, enjoy it because it this this time, as again, uh, it went in our favour.
2: Mm. So. Um- Where the fuck do we start? I suppose the fact that we did go down so quickly. I mean, even that itself, conceding a goal after nine seconds, the second quickest goal in Premier League history tells you that you're in for something a bit weird, a bit strange, doesn't it?
1: It does. I've got to give a shout out. A guy came up to me in the concourse before kickoff. His name was Niels, And he said, oh, big fan, you know, love listening to the pod give me a shout out cuz i've 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 got a bet on 6-0 i think 6-0 today um and i and i've got a real hunch it's going to come true and 9 seconds later we were 1-0
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry Nils, you uh, got that one wrong <laughs> i know neils by name but not by nature no clean sheet gone so um where to begin i mean i guess begin with the team selection i was a little bit Surprised, I'll be honest. Uh, I thought that some of the changes that we saw for this game might have been mm. more ones for the sporting game on Thursday.
2: That's what I thought too. I know that there was there were some interesting comments from Mikel Arteta last week about Fabio Vieira and about him playing more with Martinelli. So I I guess it's something that he had in mind. I suppose the other thing that we have to maybe take into consideration is what have the physical demands of this season for players like Granit like Ben White, who were rotated, what have they been like and what have they been carrying over the last couple of weeks? Like we might think from a tactical perspective – we could have done with Granite shack on the pitch from the start, maybe, or we could have done with Ben White at right back from the start because Tommy Asu didn't have a, a great first half. But I think part of the selection, part of the decision making will be physical. So I do mm-hmm. wonder if maybe there are a couple of little things there that might have played into that.
1: Yeah, and listen, I don't mean to sort of rewrite history. Uh, I wasn't critical of the team selection at the time. And I still felt that that was uh, a team more than good enough to beat Bournemouth. Um, And yeah, the the opening goal, it was just unusual, really. I mean, I, I sort of saw it happen really clearly from where I was in the North Bank. I think Bournemouth lined up four players on the left touchline and Arsenal sort of dutifully jogged across to sort of nominally Mm. pick them up and then Bournemouth switch it out to the opposite flank and I think it's a combination of sloppiness from Arsenal and Mm. a a bit of good luck probably from Bournemouth as well. They sort of needed everything to go for them to score from that opportunity and it kind of did. Yeah. Um, But fair play. I mean, they worked on it before the game Apparently, their analysts were uh, celebrating nearly as much as the Arsenal ones at Villa Park a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Another analyst punch-up after nine <laughs> seconds. <laughs> These analysts, they're, they're famously fighters. You know, uh, they're known for that. Um, but I sort of I was caught between being very critical of Arsenal and, and giving them credit for trying something quite innovative and actually pulling it off. You know,
2: you know, I think you're right. You have to give them some credit for at least having a go at that. But they were, I think, helped by some. Real sloppiness from Arsenal. I I think Granit Xhaka or not Granit Xhaka, Thomas Partey could easily have uh, tracked Billing better into the box. He sort of ran across him and then sort of half-heartedly pointed behind him as if to tell Saliba to Saliba,
1: but not. So I don't think Saliba realizes that's what's happened.
2: No, and the ball goes under Gabrielle's foot, and you know it squirts into his path, and it's a goal. And you know it's not a good way to start a game, that's for sure. But tell tell me,
1: Andrew, am (laughs) I being too simplistic? if I say that my gut tells me if Granite Shacker's on the pitch, we probably don't concede that goal?
2: I don't know. I'd have to watch it again and see where Fabio Vieira is, I suppose.
1: Yeah, um, he comes right across. I mean, maybe Xhaka would have done the same. I just feel there's a couple... It's almost not as much about what happens on the pitch. Um, mm. Although I do think Vieira might have... Helped close down Zinchenko's man on that opposite side. Sorry, I think Shaka might have closed down a bit better on that side, but I don't know. Mm. I, I, I'm a, I'm a long time, long term Shaka apologist, so people may roll their eyes at this, but part of me thinks he's just such an important figure for the focus and the mentality of this team. Um, I almost think that not having him in the pre game huddle could contribute as much to what happened in the only 10 seconds as anything.
2: Maybe, maybe. But I mean, I watched the pregame huddle and they had close-ups of it on TV and, you know, Zinchenko was doing his thing and everybody was listening and everybody's alert and everybody's ready. So, you know, I just think it's one of those kind of freak moments where we're both sloppy, Bournemouth do well and they get the maximum from their effort and, you know, part of that is we did the minimum when it came to our defensive work, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's I just think, a free goal. I think that could well be right. You know, correlation doesn't equal causation, but mm. it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, it was it was a sort of weird. It was just a, you know there was kind of a sense of shock in the ground. Yeah, none of us have ever seen that before. No, nine it was,
2: seconds. It was crazy because like I I was watching on TV here, Premier Sports, and they had. Kenny Cunningham, Damian Delaney, and, and Owen McDevitt, who's the presenter of second captains. And they were all, they do predictions. Like, what's your prediction, lads? What's your prediction? And they're like, oh, 4-0, oh, 4-1 Arsenal. I think Owen said, I'll go 5-1. I'll go 5-1, you know. As if it was just going to be a walkover, and then, like, in nine seconds they score. It's like, thank you very much there, lads.
1: 6-0. Hmm. Uh, yeah, 6-0, exactly. Oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I-, I guess as bad as it was mm. and as much of a blow as it was because bear in mind this came off the back of City winning earlier in the day as well mm. um which at 1-0 Newcastle had had a few chances and I was actually in the Tollington pre-game and I I turned to someone and said City are going to score with their next attack and lo and behold Bernardo Silva puts it in the back of the net you you
2: before. should have been with Niels as, I know, he, as right? he went to the bookies you should have been with him Said, no, no, son.
1: This is James one, happen. nil's nil. Um, but um, yeah, I, so, you know, that, that adds a little smidgen of, of pressure. But by all rights, Arsenal still had 89 minutes to beat Bournemouth by a two goal margin right it didn't need to be a reason to panic
2: no I mean if there is a good time to concede a goal I suppose from the uh, yeah from the perspective scored, of how they much scored, time
1: they scored too early they, 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 too early.
2: <laughs> they literally did um, yeah. and, and like you say I think the The way the game was going to go anyway, I don't think it necessarily changed it too much. The only thing I would say is I do wonder if some of the chances that Bournemouth had in that first half were in some way a consequence of the fact that we conceded. In Mm -hmm. that, we were chasing quite hard. And look, we had, what, 85% possession in the first half, 13 attempts on goal, like within a couple of minutes of going behind, Odegaard has a good shot and, and Neto makes a save, makes a very, very good save from Saka from the rebound. Yeah, and it, it gets did,
1: up very quick there.
2: Yeah, really good. Um, but it did feel a bit like we were pushing hard because it was 1-0 and we were obviously then having to chase the game and, and get back into it. Had it been 0-0 and this pattern of play had emerged, which I think it would have been pretty similar... With Bournemouth sitting deep and Arsenal dominating territory, dominating possession. I just wonder if part of those um our vulnerability in the first half was because we were a goal down.
1: I think so. I think I think the pattern of play would have been pretty similar. You're right, regardless of Bournemouth's goal. But I do think we lost a little of our defensive composure. Um yeah. is how I would put it. I think we were guilty of going a bit more gung-ho than was strictly necessary. And it was, I think it was, what, about 20 minutes in that they had that chance on the break, which mm. we'll never know, to be honest, if that was offside or not. It, it looks it maybe, but I've been proven wrong by VAR before. Um, but that was a scary moment. It was. The credit we have
2: to give to Aaron Ramsdale for making that save, he didn't know whether... Uh, the player was offside or not it's a huge save huge save and it's not the first time he's he's made saves in the last number of weeks at critical junctures in games you know when it's um when it's been level you think of the one against Aston Villa at 2-2 when it hit the bar he pushed the ball onto the bar um I'm just looking at this. I mean, I don't think he's offside or maybe. It's hard to know. Yeah, I'm just looking at it. It is genuinely
1: difficult to say, but you're right to make the point about big saves. Villa Mm. is an obvious one. Um, He was man of the match, of course, at at, at Tottenham not too long ago. Yeah. So he's had a strong period. Um, And this save is amazing, really. I mean, the ball across, at the moment that's played, it looks like he's got absolutely no chance of getting there. Um, and the fact that he makes up as much ground as he does Mm. is really impressive. And it's very brave as well. He's very, very brave in that situation because basically chucks himself headlong into the situation.
2: So we had a bit of a problem then as well with Leandro Trossard picking up an injury.
1: Yeah, a Um, groin injury apparently. I mean, I, I think he may have picked it up.
2: On the chase back for that. Yeah, for that moment, yeah. For
1: this very attack, because he gets right back into his own six-yard box. So he goes the length of the pitch, pretty much. Mm. Um And, uh yeah, I don't think he was quite right after that point. So that was a big worry, because Eddie, of course, wasn't on the bench. Yes. Game.
2: Yeah, so you're wondering how you change things or, or how you provide a bit more attacking threat. And obviously we found that out a bit later on, but you know, when it's nil nil at half time, or one nil at half time rather, uh, and you're down your false nine, you don't have another striker on the bench. You are banging on the door, banging, banging, banging on the door, but it's not happening. And you're thinking, how are we going to get away with this? How are we going to, how are we going to find the goals that we need? Um, mm-hmm. It is, it is a bit of a worry. It's always a bit of a worry, particularly, you know, it's one thing breaking a team down when it's nil-nil and you're looking for that opening goal, but Bournemouth, I don't know. I think you, you, you can put a bit more on the line uh, from a defensive point of view when you're actually defending something. You know, you're defending three points rather than one point. Um, so it was tough going, wasn't it? I mean, we did dominate, but the moment the final pass wasn't quite there. You think of that moment when when Tomiyasu, like one of the only times who actually got in behind in the first half and he had a bit of a miss kick and put it out um, for a goal kick, you know, things like that were going and you're thinking, oh, could it be? Couldn't happen." Yeah,
1: I know. And uh, ironically enough, given how everything turned out, you're looking at the bench and thinking, Vieira's on. He started this game. That'd be one of the attacking changes. Smith Rowe is now on. Mm. Eddie's not there. You know, what... What do we have in terms of potential match winners to come on? And and like I say, I do think that defensive composure had slightly gone. There was even a chance just before half time for yeah. Bournemouth where I think they should have made a bit more of it. Solanke um ran through but couldn't get his pass right. You know, they were two on two, I think, at that point in time. So And for all our possession and territory, um we weren't creating clear opportunities. I think you know, we had those early, that early flurry of attempts on goal, but after that, we struggled really to to actually test Neto seriously. Um, but you know, it's 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 fascinating. It's there was still time, and that's the thing. Like Arsenal were clearly better than Bournemouth, mm. and I don't say that as any slight to them. I mean, you know, they're they're competing a different area of the league on very different resources, but. Um, Arsenal were the better team. It was just could they could they make the breakthrough? Could they capitalise on that? And obviously, um, Arteta felt the need to change it. I mean, he brought Ben White on at mm. half time. Did you were you surprised by that?
2: Not especially, no, not especially. Um, particularly <sighs> Maybe- in the in the five sub era, I don't think that's a particularly surprising change. You know, I think Tommy Asu did struggle. Don't think it was anywhere near as best. And also yes. when when you're thinking about the combinations that have been effective this season for Arsenal in our goal scoring or in performances where we've really made life difficult for the opposition, Ben White and Bakayo Saka is a very obvious one, right? That springs to mind pretty quickly. Um I mean, before we go into that, what about first half penalty shouts? There was one for handball. Um which yeah. it is one of those uh, i was absolutely desperate for it to be given but i think had it happened up the other end i'd be quite annoyed if that penalty was given against us the one where tommy asu got kicked though i'd love to have understood or heard the thinking on that one because it looked fairly clear cut to me
1: yeah i mean it was i have to say being in the ground it was a particularly frustrating day in terms of VAR because obviously we don't really get the benefit of replays. So I just had no clue what was happening. I was sort of trying to look on Twitter to try and find out, you know, what what the likelihood of anything being given was or was it a correct decision? The one that's the handball is is that the one that drops right out the sky and lands on his upper arm.
2: Yeah, sorry, I was I was muted there for a second. It it is. Yeah, he went to jump for it, missed and it sort of landed on his upper arm and then rolled down his arm a bit. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think that could well have been given, to be honest. I've seen um, them
2: given, but I do wonder if it's – um, is it deliberate?
1: I don't know. I don't know, but if it's not, is it not a misjudgment by him and do we not punish players for – Misjudgments, Misjudgments,
2: yeah, misjudging tackles, yeah, maybe so, maybe I, so. I don't
1: know. I, don't, I mean, the rule is deliberate, right? So, mm. uh, as far as I'm aware, so maybe I'm I'm wrong about that, but I don't know. I think like he, he clearly just gets that one uh, wrong, the player involved. So I, I think it's relatively lucky escape. Um, my my main opinion about the VAR was kind of if there are, you know, four or five decisions that are close enough that they have to be reviewed. Um, my expectation in the ground without the benefit of replays was that we might get one that e- went our eventually. way. Eventually, Yeah, just sort of sheer law of averages, you know, enough of these decisions that we see are kind of fine margins that you think, well, you think one would go in our direction.
2: Um, well, I mean, there were a couple in the second half as well. There was one yeah. where, I mean, I think the one where Saka puts in a cross and the guy very clearly leans with his arm to deflect it onto the post. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a penalty. The billing one looks like a penalty. The the one where the guy blocks the shot from Odegaard, to be fair, he's got his arms, you know, tucked into his side and he's turning to, to block the shot. Maybe not, but the billing one happens straight after that. So there's a big shout for handball. And then in the very next passage of play, there's a big shout for handball as well, you know? Um, so I can imagine inside the ground, it must've been like, what the fuck? Are we ever going to get anything? from this referee or from these uh, officials. Yeah, but,
1: I, I, you know. Uh, the Odegaard one, I agree with you. His back's turned and I sort of think, you know, he's got hands. That's sort of not his fault. Um, I think the Saka one, I'm surprised that wasn't
2: good, Yeah, me but. too. Me too. But anyway, look, we've talked a lot about referees and VAR and decisions and things like that in the last couple of weeks. And that's not really the story of this game because no. you know, it, it ended in a much more positive way. However we had about 4,000 corners before Bournemouth got their first corner. And they get a goal from their first corner. I mean, I think it's worth examining this one as well because if you look at it, I think Partey is poor defensively on this. He, he, he just sort of switches off for a half a second, which allows Sinesi to, to run off him. But there is a lot of wrestling in
1: the yeah, box a lot martinelli i think is it martinelli <laughs>
2: yeah it's martinelli i mean the guy's basically um it's like an nfl blocker guy i don't know what you call them what do you call them i don't know sorry nfl people but um you know you know when they do the thing and they just fucking push the other guy out of the way
1: i've seen a, it yeah
2: i don't know what the technical term is blocky mcblockface
1: line blocker <laughs> um yeah i i uh, yeah i it's kind of crazy. I mean, we didn't mention about the first goal, which I know our, some Arsenal fans have been very greedy mm. about, that there was a lot of encroachment. I think a couple of Bournemouth players were actually already in our in half. half. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so technically there's a case
2: there, isn't there? But I mean, could you imagine yeah. them pulling that back?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot goes on between that. A lot goes on in that nine seconds, believe it or not. Mm. Um, I can't have too many complaints. I mean, maybe had we not won the game, I'd be a bit more cross. But I think you make a great point about this corner. There's a lot of holding going on. Um,
2: Yeah, I mean, in comparison to last week when Ben White gently held the hand of Danny Ward to, to show him some comfort in his own penalty area, and that gets called as a foul, whereas I think Odegaard, Martinelli, and maybe Ben White as well are all being blocked off. Martinelli, very, very obviously, um, which does create some space for Sinesi to to score the goal. So,
1: you know. Yeah, I I mean, one thing I would say, you know, when um, that Leandro Trossard ball hit the net, Leicester players, in particular their goalkeepers, first reaction was to uh, protest. Yeah. And actually none of the Arsenal players protest. And I'm not saying that proves... Bournemouth's innocence, but maybe we've got to be a bit more alive in that situation and Mm. sort of make our case to the officials because that's what then makes them go and study it and find a reason to disallow it. I mean, I don't, as I've said many times, I don't love the technology, but um, you've got to make it work for you.
2: Yeah, Martinelli just sort of stands there like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, there's a bit of shock, I think. Yeah. You know, Uh, they're so... Again, it's that thing of they're so focused on chasing the game and chasing the goal that mm. there is that slight... Um, I, I honestly think a slight lack of concentration defensively. And I think you see that in Thomas Partey, who loses his man here and is beaten at the near post. Good delivery and good header.
2: So, 2-0 down. 2-0 down,
1: two half nil an hour to go.
2: Yeah, in the, what was it, fifty? 50- Fifty seventh minutes 57th. so well over half an hour to go
1: what's the mood like uh she blog at this point in time
2: um i am concerned i think it would be fair to say um, politely concerned politely concerned you know i think uh i said on the live blog that i might just think about putting granite jacket on at that point i was slightly surprised that we didn't see him just because of his experience and his, his leadership and and everything else.
1: But I could see that that was a conundrum though, you know, because yeah, yeah,
2: no, I get it. I get it.
1: Vieira technically and tactically is maybe the more suited to breaking down a defense Mm. like that. But Shaka is part of the first 11 that have brought us to where we are. So Mm. It was kind of interesting to see. One thing I've got to shout out from the game is that Shaka spent a lot of the second half on the sidelines with Jorginho.
2: I heard that, all right. I saw a few people talking about that, yeah.
1: The, The level of engagement from them both in the match was extraordinary. I mean, you know, Mikel Arteta was giving instructions, but these guys were giving instructions too. They were pulling Emil Smith-Rose, Inchenko, all those left-sided players in that second half over to them. Vieira talking to them, uh, coaching, coaching from the sidelines. And, and, and of course,
2: they don't have a technical area because they are
1: ostensibly warming up. There's nothing Richard Keyes can do exactly. in this situation. It was uh, it was actually pretty amazing, mm. and, and especially from Jorginho, who, you know, is very, very new to the club, um, but was so invested. I don't think he had a hope in hell that he was likely to get on, particularly. But no. he was not leaving that touchline. Uh, and and I, I, you know, who knows what part that plays, but I just thought it was a really great illustration of the level of commitment and desire and a bit of the the leadership that some of these more experienced players can show. And need to show.
2: Particularly, yeah. you know, we've talked about how seasons are going to have ups and downs. There are going to be bumps in the road, but they are going to be bumps during games as well. And this is where players who are experienced and have been there, done that, um, even if they haven't you know, necessarily uh, got the same sort of experience of, of winning titles or Premier League titles, just your experience, your maturity can play a big part in that. So uh, I thought that was really great, actually. someone was um, I saw someone talking about Jorginho. Um, coaching somebody from the sideline as well. It could have been Smith Rowe or Nelson, you know, at various points. You could even see at one point on the pitch, Nelson, after he'd come on, uh, is is quite close to Zinchenko. And Zinchenko's like, no, 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 just get further up the field, get further up the field. We need to, we need to have more bodies in, in the final third. Um, the, the pattern of play, of course, was pretty much the same. You know, the goal was, the second goal was a bit smash and grab. They came forward, they got the, they got a free kick, I think, and then they got the corner and then they got the goal. Yeah. But we responded pretty quickly. I think it was 62 minutes. So 57 minutes for the Bournemouth goal. And at 62 minutes, it's 2-1. I think the timing of that goal is, is particularly important because, you know, it immediately... Brings the game back to the state it was in previously. Bournemouth probably thought two 0 This is lovely two one. Oh,
1: fuck! I think if it yeah, if it goes another ten minutes, you know, I, yeah. it just changes everything. We we had to get one back quickly yeah. at that point in time. Um,
2: Smithrow with a header from a corner. I think it was Neto punched it out. Smithrow headed it back in. Partey very sharp and alert at the back post to uh, to side foot home. Make it two one. And then yeah. it's on isn't it then it's then you know it's on what was what was the what was the mood in your area of the stadium when we got that goal because uh, you know on the tv you could hear like belief sort of flood back into the into the crowd and it's not to say that the crowd weren't supportive or anything like that but at 2-0 there's a a low-level or high-level anxiety to everything that's going on. And then you get one back and you realise, okay, it only takes a second for us to get something from this game. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we could get the maximum from this game. So what was it like when we scored that goal? Did you start to believe? Did you feel like we could make that breakthrough?
1: Well, that is the remarkable thing about this team, is that even at 2-0 down, I thought we can definitely still get something here. Um, It's funny, you know, I think the vast majority of the crowd were absolutely onside. I personally had a disagreement with someone in the row behind me uh, (laughs) during the first half at 1-0 because they were basically calling all the Arsenal players cunts. And I was, it really stood out to me. And I was like, I wonder why this is bothering me so much. And I realise this because I haven't heard it for ages. You know, there was a time where that was not unusual to hear that at an Arsenal game. Mm. Um, you know, um, people bawling at players and, you know, calling them useless and this and that. But I do think that really does belong to a, a different time and, and a different team. And, uh, and is not i think we have learned is not especially constructive or helpful i understand people being frustrated but this is a great team who've done great things this season and in adversity what has buoyed them what has helped propel them forward has been support and encouragement and a positive environment so I just um, expressed that, but in uh, slightly ruder words. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but by and large, the stadium were fully on board. And when I was chatting to people at half time, when Mm. it's 1-0, admittedly, you know, people were saying, if we can get one before 70 minutes, then we'll be all right. So to get an equaliser, 62, all right, we still had one more to get to equalise. But Mm. suddenly you thought... You just never know, you know. A goal can completely swing the momentum of a game. Bournemouth belief could be sapped. Those legs can start to feel a bit more tired. Heads can go down. Mm. And crucially, Arsenal heads can can go up. For and, sure. Uh, and it, is, up it, it,
0: it is
2: extremely tiring when you are in the situation that Bournemouth are in. And it seems yeah. a bit counterintuitive to say when you're 2-0 up, you know, it's 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 tiring or exhausting, but the relentlessness of ours. So I think that's a word I used in the in the blog or in the live blog. Anyway, there was a relentlessness to the way that we came forward and and probed and poked and asked questions and made them defend desperately. You know, there were a lot of blocks. There was a lot of really committed, good defending from Bournemouth um, because they had something to hold on to. Because these points are so. Important to them, you know, this season. So I I don't think you can underestimate how tiring it is, though, as well, how fatigue can start to play a part in Absolutely. the way that you defend, um, in the way that you switch off even for a second or two seconds. And all of a sudden somebody has space. Um, we did continue to ask questions and knock on the door and bang on the door and looked uh, all the time for another goal. There was a very interesting substitution, though. Not long after we scored the goal, uh, sixty-nine minutes, Emil Smith Rowe came off, and Rhys Nelson came on. It's mm-hmm. it's interesting because you know you're you're subbing the sub. I think we can all understand why Emil Smith Rowe isn't necessarily quite ready yet for seventy to 80 or 70 minutes maybe of pretty high stakes uh, energetic football at this point in his recovery from surgery and all the rest of it, right? But you're also putting on somebody who hasn't really played, hasn't Mm -hmm. played a lot in the last little while, who himself was injured for a little while not to the same extent you know he he didn't have surgery he didn't have you know basically 10 months without first team football but you know that that is a bit of a gamble in itself isn't it because Reece Nelson we know he's made a contribution off the bench and I do wonder if there was a little bit of that in Mikel Arteta's mind when he thought about what what Nelson did when he came on for Saka that time was it against Nottingham Forest mm-hmm. but you know that's a tough call to make as a manager,
1: to sub a sub. It's a big call. It's a really big call. And I'm sure part of it was protect- protecting Emil and his recovery. But I guess we also have to remember that Nelson is one of these players that Arteta does have real faith in. I think probably more faith, if we're honest, than most of us as fans. Um, And I, 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 I did not see Nelson making quite the kind of contribution that he did. I mean, yeah. Uh, and and credit to Arteta for his changes on the day. He brought mm. Ben White on, as we're about to talk about. He scored in the game. Uh, brings Nelson on. Um, brings Smith-Rowe on, who creates the Partey goal. Mm. The subs worked. So the subs worked. The subs worked in a big way.
2: So Nelson's only on the pitch for a matter of seconds before he makes a fairly telling contribution and provides the cross for, for Ben White. I mean, there is something um, a little sad that the ball didn't smash the back of the net for Ben White's first Arsenal goal. I'm absolutely sure he doesn't give a fuck, but it's over the line before Neto makes the the save, if you like, or stops the ball. It is a really well-controlled finish. Because that's that's not easy. The ball, sort of coming at you on the half volley. The angle is pretty tight as well. Gets it into the ground, in the net, uh, if not in the back of the net. And it's and it's two two. And there's like twenty minutes plus injury time to go. What's it like yeah. in the stadium then? <laughs>
1: um, well, initially confusion because we didn't quite realised the ball had gone over the line or if it was the first shot or the follow-up that had gone in. Mm. Um, we couldn't see because we were behind that goal. But as soon as we realised it was a goal, just, yeah, I mean, uh, real, real excitement. To get the two back to back, suddenly you've got 20 minutes to win it. Mm. And suddenly all those Arsenal players are thinking, we can do this now. Um I was delighted for Ben White. I agree. It's a great finish. Great contribution from Nelson immediately after coming on. And I think, you know, we've we've criticized Thomas Partey a little bit on the opening couple of goals, but mm. he scores the first one. And I think he does well on this one here. Yep. Just driving forward, making something happen, finding a forward pass at the edge of the box. Um, yeah, I think on the ball, he was really, really good. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. So, yeah, I mean, a huge moment. And... Uh, Then the task is very clear, you know, and Bournemouth have gone from a a really strong position to a much weaker one. As you say, that fatigue physically, mentally Mm. begins to creep in. Arsenal were relentless in this game. I think we had, in fact, I won't say I think, I'll check. We had 17 corners in the game, 31 shots, 11 of which were taken by Martin Odegaard. 11
2: shots in that last 20 minutes as well.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, we haven't talked about the possession either. I mean, I, we were behind at half time, but I think we'd had more than 80% of the ball. You know, it, it's often said, I think it's a bit of a truism, but I think it's accurate that not having the ball is a lot harder work than having it. You know, you, for sure. You, the, the concentration, uh, the physical aspect, eventually that was going to take its toll. Um, and it did, but it, you know, not without, well, waiting until the last possible second.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. And look, there were moments, weren't there? There was, yeah.
1: um, there were things that made you think, was that it? Martinelli went through on goal. Yeah, didn't
2: he? just didn't quite dig the shot out as well as he could. I could see what he was trying to do, yeah. but it was a really good run. The incident we talked about with Bakayo Saka, where his cross was... Um, shouldered or elbowed onto the post that Great was in feet, that
1: period before that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think martinelli was a bit unlucky personally in that if that ball is it you know it looks like it sails way over but i think when mm, it actually goes over the bar it's only a yard or two over the bar
2: it is oh. it is i mean he, you know it's one of those where you know uh, it's rising you it's know, rising so, so yeah it could have nestled in the in the top of the net or the, you know, I mean, top corner. Like yeah,
1: exactly. Um, um, and, and he, and he'd worked so hard and he was very good. I thought in that centre forward role, um, given that he's barely played it this season. Um, yeah. So look, we're into
2: the injury time, six minutes of injury time. And there are moments where you're thinking, well, the ref's going to blow up any second now, particularly as it got to the last bit of injury time. I mean, we have criticized referees. We have spoken about time wasting, time management, you know, how certain games it feels like the amount of time added on is not really commensurate with the amount of time that's been wasted. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to give some credit to the referee here because a Bournemouth player goes down in the first minute of injury time, stays down for 30, 40 seconds in his own box before he just gets up and carries on, you know, I think he was maybe just a bit tired. Um, He added it on. Thank fuck. (laughs) Because, you know, there was a, 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 was there a cross before Zinchenko hit that one? There was a cross um, that was cleared. And I was thinking, oh, that's going to be that.
1: Yeah. Funnily enough, there was a Nelson shot from the edge of the box. Thinking like the 94th minute where he cut inside onto his right foot. So he obviously, you know, he fancied himself to make the difference today, but it was, it was close to Neto and he held it.
2: Mm, Oh yeah. Neto was
1: pure pantomime villain by this stage, by the way, for the North Bank. I mean,
2: well, well, yeah, I mean, he, I don't know. Did you guys see in the stadium, but he gave Ben White a slap in in the back of the head. Um, Mm. You know, having been booked, I think he talked himself into a booking. I mean, lots of, Pantomime goalkeeper villains this uh, this season, right? It's been a it's been a bit of a theme. Um, so look, Zinchenko has a little shuffle, hits a shot, deflects just wide. I was waiting for the final whistle at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. Well, I don't know if a lot, but plenty of people were leaving. Uh, the ground as well because that zinchenko moment had the feel of yeah finality you it know did. it was close it was nearly something it didn't quite happen by that point i was in full bargaining mode you know trying to rationalize that well coming from two gods down to claim a point
2: couldn't fault the effort etc cetera, etc cetera. Fault
1: the effort you know mistakes were made but at least they showed heart to come back Um, shame about shaving two points off the lead at the top of the table. And then. And then. Um, One of
2: the greatest moments in the history of of this stadium, you know, I was there when Danny Welbeck scored that goal against Leicester and it felt huge at the time. It really did. It felt massive. There was the Arshavin goal against Barcelona. But... In the context of what's happening and where we are and what we're doing and where we think we can go and this project, for want of a better word, I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable that they kept going, they kept plugging away and right at the death, you know, from a player that you would not expect to make that contribution. Like if you'd had money in your pocket, let's say Niels has got a... Spare fiver in his pocket. He's going to the bookies. Who's going to score the late winner against uh, Bournemouth for Arsenal today? I suspect that Reese Nelson would have been really low on his list. And you need you need this in a in a season where you might win the title. You need. The unexpected contributions from players that you don't think are going to be able to, or not going to be able to, but are unlikely to be decisive. You know, you think back to the the season when Christopher Ray scored some goals. Mm-hmm. I think he was he responsible for 97-98. Yeah, ninety seven ninety eight. Did he, he scored one against Wolves in the FA Cup? He scored one against Wimbledon, I think which was a 1-0. And was was there another 1-0? Maybe
1: Bolton or something. Bolton, that's exactly,
2: yeah. That's exactly, yeah. You know, and look, with all due respect to Chris Ray, when you're in a team with Dennis Bergkamp and players of that quality, you know, you are not the guy who people expect to score goals or make those kinds of contributions. I'm not saying that Rhys Nelson is the new Christopher Ray in terms of his own quality. I'm just talking about his contribution at a moment when Arsenal so, so badly needed something. There he is. And look at what he did and look at how he did it. I mean, the quality of the goal was just sensational as well.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable moment. Speaking to people after the game, you know, I think they ranked it alongside Arshaven against Barcelona. Um, mm. uh, what were the other? Danny Welbeck against Leicester. Thierry Henry against Leeds. One of the great Emirates Stadium moments, mm. undoubtedly, because of the significance. I think the last time Arsenal came from two goals down to win in the league uh may have been the first 5-2. I'm sure Albino will will pull me up on that if it's wrong, but I think that's right. And then I think in all competitions, um, obviously there was the crazy 2014 FA Cup final. uh, Yeah. But even they, I don't think can match a singular moment of drama. You know, the last kick of the game Practically, I, I, you know, we couldn't even, I don't think I even noticed if the game kicked off again, to be honest, because we were still celebrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, on the
2: commentary, they were just going, Arsenal have won it. Arsenal have, won it. because there is no, there is no anything after that. You know, there can't be because of just how late the goal was. That there, there, I don't even know if there was a kickoff.
1: No. And yeah, absolutely incredible. And the the reaction, the celebrations, Oh. I mean it, there's that incredible picture taken from on high of you know Bournemouth bodies on the ground Arsenal bodies on the ground Arsenal staff and substitutes on the pitch
2: I mean it's 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 incredible it is incredible because that's what a moment like that does you know Odegaard on his back Gabriel drops to his knees Saliba boots the fucking corner flag um, everyone's going mental. I mean the the way the bench emptied onto the pitch. I don't think I've ever seen it before. Um, no. well, I mean we've rarely scored goals of this magnitude that late before. And you know maybe that'll be part and parcel of what happens if you do that on a regular basis, which I hope for all of our blood pressure and our hearts. Uh, you know doesn't happen that often. But but I mean it's just <laughs> the the. The weirdness, not the weirdness, but the randomness of of all of this, you know, was <laughs> the bit when Michel Arteta, just sort of going back, having celebrated, he quite seriously high fives a small child and then realizes, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Who's this child? Who are you? What are you doing here? And he's like, his, you know, his dad mode kicks in and he's like, hey, wait a minute. Jeez, we got to, you know, get you back to wherever you came from. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, even stuff like that is just – it's just unbelievable to watch and to experience, you know, whether you're there, whether you're far away. I think everybody – I mean, the 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 thread, uh, which I'm sure people have seen, I think it's Stan Critchlow on, on Twitter, has put together a great thread of just people reacting all over the world, in bars, even inside the stadium. You know the the various bits of commentary, and you know the, there was one a great one. Uh, I think it was Nigerian guy. Um, did you see that one?
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, unfortunately, the audio for that was just too bad for me to use because I really did want to use a bit <laughs> of that in the in the in the intro, but it was just it was just too bad, unfortunately. But it 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 shows you what this game means to to everybody who's a fan, who's a supporter and, um, you know, the way it can just topple your mind. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but even thinking about it now, again, I'm just like scattered. My brain is going fucking all over the place.
1: Yeah. The place completely exploded. Um, I'm very lucky in that my, uh, seat in the North bank is on the aisle. Uh, I was down at pitchside, at uh, 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 lightning speed, <laughs> <laughs> and in a massive pile-up of bodies, which fortunately um, everyone was unhurt in. But there were people just, you know, falling over each other, hugging strangers. I saw so many people in tears. Honestly, I saw—I must have seen a dozen people crying or Mm. people who messaged me afterwards and said they shed a tear at that moment and i can understand why because it was just a complete explosion of joy yeah but but and the take the tension and the stakes were so high but in the middle of all that uh the man who was the coolest guy on the pitch at the critical moment was reese nelson yeah And if you watch that goal again, the deftness of the way he brings it under control, I think he takes it maybe on the chest, but then there's a little touch off his right boot, which Mm. sees the ball set just in front of him. The adjustment to then hit that with his weaker left foot and get the purity of contact that he does... And the ball sails between two Bournemouth defenders, uh, which I think helpfully unsights the goalkeeper. But even if he could see it, it struck with such power. I'm not sure he's getting there. And an incredible moment. And, And I found it hilarious and sort of almost bizarre that he almost tried to kind of style out the celebration for about <laughs> 10 seconds you know that he sort of yeah. runs around and sort of gives it the whole calm calm thing before he's just absolutely mobbed he's basically caught in a bear hug by yeah. aaron ramsdale it
0: is uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing moment for him and speak about christopher ray but even in more recent memories look at other teams the role that someone like uh diva cariji for example has played at liverpool i mean mm. that man will never buy a pint in (laughs) Liverpool again. And the same is true for Reece Nelson for the rest of his life. Whatever happens with him, and I'm sure we'll talk about his future, Mm. what a moment. Like, what a moment. What a moment, yeah, for a Hayland kid, you know,
2: who's been through the academy, who's had a lot of bad luck with injuries. Yeah. You know, you think about the injuries that he's picked up, and we've talked about him quite a few times before about a potential departure potential loan move i even think this season is one of those where had he not picked up an injury he could easily have been on loan somewhere else
0: mm. and you there know, were the, clubs
1: who wanted him in january yeah uh, abroad and he his message was he wanted to stay at arsenal and fight for a new contract he was very clear about that and there've been lots of things that have Disturbed his development, injuries being one, um, but he's a very, very, very popular guy at the club, with staff, with the players, and you could see that mm. in that moment as well. How elated everyone was for him played into just what a what a unique and special moment that was. Honestly. I've been at cup finals I've been very lucky I've been at great occasions Mm. where silverware has been won and you know history books have been written and um but for pure emotion and pure drama it's difficult to top that I think I think that's right I really
2: do. I know, like there'll be naysayers or people who go, "Well, it's only a game against Bournemouth. It's only a game against, you know, a team that are in the relegation zone, whatever." But that is to misunderstand what that goal means, what that result means mm. in this season of all seasons. That it doesn't matter if you stage a two-nil or two or come back from two-nil down against Bournemouth or Barcelona. You know, that emotion when you win a game that late is about as pure as it gets in football, isn't it? And someone made a really good point to me uh, on Twitter. I apologize, I can't find it. But basically, he said, how amazing was it for that goal to go in and for nobody to think for even half a second that there might be some kind of VAR intervention to chalk
1: it out? Oh, don't worry. I had that thought. No way. <laughs>
2: Were you thinking like, how are they gonna, how are they gonna disallow it? Yeah, yeah. I was just, you oh, know, no. uh,
1: I've been so only briefly. I sort of was looking around, you know, and that isn't that tragic that, that mm. that's part of the game. I mean, but I, I quickly realised that that wouldn't be the case. You know, I, I, I think that my fear was like, is there someone in the goalkeeper's eye line or something like that? You know, because it was mm. such a crowded penalty box. Fortunately, it was just his own players, which is great. Um, Yeah, a a genuinely amazing experience to have been there. I felt very, very, very lucky. Mm. And I'm so glad that it resonated the same for everybody, regardless if they were in the stadium or not, um, because it was really special. And that is the kind of... uh, the thing about this team and this season that we're having is that it is this incredibly emotional experience and incredibly intense. And I don't know if it will ever quite be like this again. You know, whether or not Arsenal ultimately win this league, mm. it'll never be the first time we've been in this position again, if you see what I mean. Sure, like this sure. Is, this is a special. Uh, oh, it's not I mean, This is a special and sort of unique experience, and the novelty of it, the fact that it's new and unexpected, and surpasses, you know, what we thought we might be able to achieve. I think plays into quite how electric it feels, and our, our responsibility as fans is to just suck as much as we can. Of well, that uh, yeah, because. I mean,
2: special, isn't it because as well that during more difficult times, darker times, if you want to call them that, or, or, or periods where things haven't been great, we all had this worry that maybe we wouldn't get back here, that we wouldn't be the team that could compete with, you know, how long ago was it? It wasn't that long ago we were talking about the gulf between Arsenal and Manchester City and Arsenal and Liverpool, Right. Mm. we're going, look, we, we think we're on the right track here, but we've got a long way to go before we can, before we can catch up to these guys. And here we are, here we are. And what's amazing about it is there is a generation or there are a generation of Arsenal fans, you know, who've grown up and who have known about success in the Premier League but who've never really experienced it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there's guys like you and I to varying degrees who've been around the block a little bit, who've seen huge success and enjoyed that. And it always leaves you wanting more. So I think there's such a hunger from everybody to, to get to where we need to go and to, hopefully fingers crossed achieve something that probably three years ago you're saying well, you know, if Arsenal can compete for the league again in, I don't know, five years, we'll be doing well. I think yeah. I think all that plays into it. And I think the the emotion of it is is evident across the board, in the stands, on the bench. Mikel Arteta talking about how I started to run and I didn't really know what I was running to. You know, he is as lost in this as everybody else is. And I think that tells you pretty much the whole story of of what this football club is about right now and how united it is in its uh, desire to to finish this season as strongly and as well as possible and fingers crossed to lift that trophy. Because I think... It's been a long time since that togetherness um, has been at the very core of of Arsenal.
1: I think that's right, and I think the point you make about it being the first time for a lot of fans to mm. be in this position, you know, plays into why it feels so great, and and the first time for a lot of these players.
2: Of course, of course. Like, yeah. how old are the the uh, the Ashburton Army guys? You know, yeah. If exactly. you're twenty years of age, you know. You were one or zero. Maybe some of them weren't even born the last time Arsenal won the league. So, you know,
1: fucking guys. Kazaka was, uh, I think, two, nearly three when Arsenal last won the league. To this generation of players, that's ancient history, you know? And what they're doing now is writing a new chapter and. Yeah, it, it makes for pretty compelling stuff. And even for those of us who are a bit older, who've been around the block, I think it's been so long. And what we're seeing is so vital and so refreshing that mm. it feels like the first time. Um, and yeah, it's 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 just a brilliant ride to be on. And the thing is, Andrew, like deep down, all season, I, and and my nature is to play things down and... I do, and I have kind of been in this boat of like, Arsenal could win it or, you know, they might win it. But like, I I now feel increasingly, or I, I, I kind of feel like they have to win it. They have to, they have to finish this story because it's too great. It's too brilliant. It's too wonderful. Like they have to, give this story the ending it deserves. Mm. Uh, And it doesn't mean they will, but like I'm more desperate than ever for them to do it. And actually I, without wishing to get on a high horse about it and Man City fans won't agree and Gary Neville won't agree, but I think it's, I think the league needs this. I think the premier league needs someone to stick it to the, nation owned clubs and say, look what we can do. Yes. And this season, that is Arsenal. And no no one can say it's not a fairy tale because Arsenal spent a lot of money and you know the fans don't aren't in love with their owners either. But what it is is a really captivating story about a group of young players with huge emotional investment from staff from squad from fans Mm. and there are two teams who can win this league right now we thought there might be three (laughs) turns out one of them lost (laughs) 7-0 yesterday but there are two teams who can win this league but i strongly feel there is one that are fighting tooth and nail to win it Mm. And I desperately hope they do. City can march solemnly towards the title, but Arsenal are tearing towards it. They are giving everything. It is a brilliant sporting story. And I I so hope it has the right ending.
2: We're all desperate for a happy ending,
1: James. Yeah, I know. Well, there's some massage places in Leicester Square, <laughs> that can be achieved. <laughs> I hear. I, 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 um, I, I don't. I, it's, and if we don't do it, we don't do it. If we don't do it, it doesn't happen. And this was special and amazing. But I'm a writer, and I want the story to have the right ending. Mm. You know
2: what I mean? Oh, I know exactly. I know exactly. Um. Do you think we should take a break and do some questions?
1: Yes, before I'm in tears again, I think, or you I think we'd better take a break. Descend I mean, into
2: a blubbering mess.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm welled up with oh. emotion at Reese Nelson's beautiful girl and a child holding Miklartez, high-fiving Miklartez. I Miklertez swear to God, that
2: is genuinely one of the funniest things I think I have ever seen in the midst of that mayhem. The, the seriousness with which Arteta gives him a high five and then is like the, what, what What? are you I doing I guess the, the
1: only better ending to the story is that in 15 years time that child leads Arsenal to the long awaited Premier League title I <laughs> await an athletic special on the background of that kid <laughs> exactly yeah he's one to watch one to watch
2: alright we will be back with your questions and more in part 2 right after this
0: Ries Nelson
2: Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at ArseBlog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member, on Patreon. A very serious question first, though. Okay. Very serious. Um, don't want to bring anybody down, but Erik Ronk on the Discord said, do I need to seek medical attention for the erection I've had for the last 24 hours?
1: <laughs> hmm, Maybe so. Hmm. I don't know, though, actually. I think it might be justified. <laughs> um, Use it or lose it, my friend. That, 24 that hours. kind of I mean, well, when... does
2: not uh, hang around.
1: Yeah. What time did they ask that question? I'm trying to pinpoint when this began.
2: Uh, oh, it was a good question. I can't find it now it's in there somewhere. Okay.
1: Well, if it gets to 48 hours, uh intervention might be required. That's not me volunteering. As I said, there are places <laughs> in near Leicester Square who can help you with that. I <laughs> Uh what have you got another question, Andrew? Stop me talking.
2: I do have another question. Thank goodness. Um let me I, we had a couple of, on this, right? Which I think is really quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and this goes back to the um, the thing that you did the other day, which had Gary Neville on it, which I, you know, I'm sorry, I love you, but I, I just couldn't watch because there's mm. just too much Gary Neville. I can only have so much Gary Neville in my life. I had a lot of Gary Neville yesterday, and I loved it every you single day.
1: You prefer that Gary Neville, I prefer that sure.
2: kind of Gary Neville. I hear you. But, but it was about the emotion, you know, and... Um, yeah, questions about that. So, Grenrim on the, uh, geez, there's probably place in Leicester Square that do that too. Um, he said, <laughs> "Do you think, contrary to Gary Neville's opinion, we need the emotion to win the league? We are the underdogs. Everyone hates us, and we know it. The siege mentality fostered uh, by Arsenal uh, or by Arteta is what I think will win us the league." Uh, there was another one. Uh, Saying, are you concerned that these big emotional wins, while spectacular to be part of, are taking too much gas out of the tank? I was emotionally drained at full time. How do the players keep the spirit? Can we go all the way uh, to the end with games like this? But there was another one on Twitter, which comes from Jack. Belcher, who's at Jack zero one two zero underscore, he said, "What are your thoughts on this quote from Martin Keown compared to what Gary Neville says about how comeback wins are too emotional?" And this is a a quote from Martin Keown. says In two thousand three and four, the last time Arsenal won the league, we fell behind to opponents in nine games, yet we never accepted defeat. We won six of those games and drew the other three. Every time we produced a comeback, it made us feel as if something special was
1: happening. Yeah, I mean that's pretty compelling stuff from Martin Keown. I I, I well, I think I shared on here a few weeks ago. It was something that first posited to me by uh, a friend, a Spurs support- supporting friend. You mm. call yeah, poisoning my mind. Um this idea around kind of emotional fatigue. And I I think we do have to be careful to not project. I think as fans, something we do a lot in football is we project our own feelings onto the players. You know, when we're kind of exhausted or stressed or anxious or nervous, I think we assume they are too sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's a dangerous leap to make. And I don't think we know what the uh, mentality of an elite athlete really is like um, firsthand. Some of us do. Um, <laughs> that sounded like I meant me. Definitely not me. But um, I just mean there see, might be some people see. listening who are like sprinters or something. Sure, sure.
2: That was a real Alan Partridge moment there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Some of us do. Uh, obviously not me. Um, lost my train of thought.
2: We were, you were I, talking about the mentality of elite yeah, athletes.
1: Yeah, so... I, I do have that worry. I do have that worry. And and the way that I frame it is like, you know, do you get to the the run-in and you feel like you've already played six finals? And does that take something out of you? Mm. I think clearly Mikel Arteta doesn't believe that. I think clearly he thinks that this level of emotional investment and experience has a binding force mm. i think we can i think we can say that based on the way he conducts himself and what he to borrow his phrase looks to transmit to his team and to the stands he's
2: an emotional guy isn't he he you know he is i know there's this sort of steeliness to him mm-hmm. but there is you know there's real passion there's real ambition mm. there's intensity Intensity is exactly the word I was going to use next. And intense doesn't just mean, you know, it's in everything that you do and it's how you do it. It's how you train. It's how you prepare. It's how you play. It's what kind of mindset you have going into this. So I, you know, I kind of agree with you there that I think that maybe for us it's sort of exhausting, but for those players, I mean, how can you not come off the pitch on Saturday and think, Anything other than positive thoughts, and I know there's other analysis, and we might get into a little bit of that now in, in, in a second with another question, but it is it is about um, the result more than the performance, I think. I think we, as fans and maybe people who do podcasts and you know all the people who read, we tend to analyze maybe a little bit more than players do which isn't yeah. to say that they're not subject to analysis because, you know, they're going to have their video sessions and, and all of that kind of stuff.
1: But they're, if they analyze themselves, like we analyze them, they'd probably never play again.
2: <laughs> exactly. They wouldn't go outside the house, but you know, what well, I think what we saw with this Bournemouth game was, you know, we're into the final third of the season, right? Bournemouth are right down the bottom, scrapping for their lives. Arsenal are at the top, scrapping for the title. And, Football is such a game that it it produces these kinds of occasions. Like they're mm-hmm. kind of rare to finish the way that they did. We all accept that. We all know that. That's why we enjoyed it so much. But the, the unpredictability of the performance and what can happen in a game, you know, prepare yourself for more of not quite this, but for things at the business end of the season that probably don't happen in the first half of the season.
1: That's true. It's a different competition. Mm. The stakes change and the aim changes. You're not trying to establish a pattern of play, an identity. You're just trying to get the results. Mm. Uh, And that's true of everybody. And it makes these games feel and look very, very different. And I, I think one thing I would say is, I think it is reasonable to have concerns over whether all this uh, emotional exertion and physical exertion. I mean, winning a game in the last second is harder work than winning it uh, you know, by half-time. Mm. May take its toll on Arsenal eventually. I think that is a reasonable position. But I think almost everyone would say that... That level of intensity, commitment, connection, spirit is also the reason that Arsenal are wh- where they are. Mm. You can't take it away from them. It is part of the identity of the team that Mikel has created. Mm. They are an emotional beast, and I think he subscribes to similar school of thought to Jurgen Klopp in that respect, or you know, fostering mm. that relationship between fans and team that symbioticism and to be fair to Jurgen Klopp and to Liverpool that's brought them a great deal of success uh so I don't think Arteta is necessarily misguided in that and ultimately you know I spoke in part one about the story and how the story ends well the story of this and Arsenal's emotional entanglements will be decided by whether or not they win the league you know and that will the narrative will be spun accordingly Either it will all have got too much to them and people will say they choked and they were butlers or, or or. Or. You know?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. Okay, have you got a question?
1: Um yes. Let's have this one. Dan Mayer, who mentions Gary Neville again, and says, Morning, gents. Last night on Gary Neville's podcast, Jamie Carragher said the upcoming international break might be a good thing for Arsenal, given how much emotion and mental fatigue has been endured in the past few weeks. Mm. Do you agree it could be timely?
2: I mean, I guess it could be in the sense that it's the last break before the end of the season, so it's a moment or a couple of weeks to to take stock Mm -hmm. and to sort of prepare and organise and maybe – you know the players that players that are going to be away with their national teams. Will there ever be an interlude where fingers are being crossed to the extent that they will be in this one?
1: Wow! I you mean, know? if I'm Michel Arteta, I'm locking those players in at London Colney,
2: doing a full Alex Ferguson, Ryan Giggs type thing. Sorry, none of them can go. They're 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 all dead.
1: I'm sorry. All, they They are He he tweaked his hamstring on his way. To board the plane for the international game,
2: we're really sorry. Yeah, sorry uh, Switzerland. Sorry, whoever is you know whoever is going to be going. Brazil, sorry Brazil. Sorry England.
1: Sorry whoever. I mean, yeah, I, we've got four games before that, right? Two against Sporting, mm. trip to Fulham, and we host uh, Crystal, Crystal Palace. Palace. But I do think that it could be, uh, it could be useful. Mm. Only in that I'm thinking of players like Leandro Trossard, who we don't really have a prognosis on yet. Yeah. Uh, That week might be crucial for him in terms of getting him fit again, if he's not by that point. I'm thinking of one Gabriel Jesus, Mm -hmm. who was out on the pitch after the game. I mean, that was huge news in and of itself it wasn't a full contact session but it was a fairly involved session with the players who didn't play uh, against Bournemouth and he was out there with them which is great Um, and I yeah hopefully hopefully just a bit of respite for one or two I mean yeah the international call ups though would be the other side of that coin right they are the worry
2: they are. I mean, we had a another question here from Smoking Gunner, who's at Gunner Smoking. Uh, he said, goodly morning. How concerned are you with injuries up front and Ketia not playing? Trossard going off early? Are we light up top, or is Nelson Smith Rowan a returning Gabriel Jesus enough to get us over the line?
1: Well, it feels bad right now. Mm. You know, Martinelli's probably Mikel Arteta's fourth choice to play up front um, behind Jesus and Ketia and Trossard in some order. And we don't have a lot behind that. Mm. You know, you're looking at probably Smith Rowe next in line. That's still very much an experiment. We don't also know quite where he is physically. But Jesus can't Mm. be far, can he?
2: Well, if he's doing a session on the pitch, it suggests that, you know, they're stepping up his involvement, stepping up his his um, activity, because I think, yeah. was it just this week where I think it was Charles Watts in the in the press conference before this game asked if uh, Jesus was in like full contact training yet? Mm. I think Arteta said no, um, but I mean, he could be, who knows? It could be Arteta playing things down the way I, he I, does. Yeah, I,
1: I, I pursued the same uh, line of questioning on Saturday night, actually, after the Bournemouth game, because somebody told me about the session, mm. and it, it, I was, it was reiterated to me that it's not a full contact session. Yeah. Make of that what you will. Um, full contact sessions are available at Massage Place in Leicester Square. <laughs> but I, we've got to have adverts. Leicester Square is
2: going to be fucking packed this afternoon. It's, yeah, not. Actually Why are there so Lester many Square, Arsenal fans don't. in Leicester Square this <laughs> afternoon? What's happening here? Just all wandering around, like, fucking glass-eyed, looking, <sighs> <laughs> Um
1: Yeah, I, 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 the truth is, with Mikael being the way he is, we don't know that much about how bad Eddie is, how bad uh, Trossard is, and how close Jesus is. I think we've got to hope that one or two of those are going to be involved sooner rather than later. Mm. Because... Yeah. It's two weeks with, you know, Thursday, Sunday schedules.
2: We had a request on the Discord from Maz, who said 12 games to go. Let's get those predictions going until the end of the season, to which chan- uh, To which I said, no fucking chance. Uh, Have you seen those April that.
1: fixtures, mate? You think I'm going to predict those? No way. Um, we also on. had it
2: from Sam, Lights Out Sam, who said, a request, please don't do the results, points, predictions for the run-in like normal this year. You'll either be jinxing us or setting up a self-fulfilling pros- uh, prophecy among the fan base. Uh, I've got no intention whatsoever of predicting anything.
1: A game at a time. One actually, game we, at a we time. We from Mikel. Uh, I, I mean, I you know, if you want to feel a bit queasy, do have a look at the April fixtures. Um mm. They're pretty spicy. <laughs> Cross that bridge when we come to it, I think. Yes, exactly. Um, Okay, here's a question. Queen Guna, who's at Sophia, and they ask, still on a high from Saturday, aren't we all? But what has happened to our set pieces? I know we scored the winner from a corner, but on the whole, they've been terrible. At the start of the season, they were really good, but now we seem to have regressed. Why do you think this is?
2: Good question. We had a number of questions like that as well on the Discord. John Hossain said, we seem to be conceding more from corners more regularly. We were conceding none earlier in the season. Does our set piece coach need to get his finger out? An MC football can't touch this. Or maybe he's Scottish. Could be Mike football. Who knows? Yeah. Um, he said for Bournemouth's second goal, we talked about this, you know, the the the, the holding and the bear hugs and the, Um, the pushing and the shoving and the line blocking and the NFL and all that. And he basically says, how do you even defend that tactic? Um, I suppose it is a little bit of a worry, but I think every team is going to concede some goals from set pieces during the season. Um, The fact that we didn't until recently, maybe that's a bit of an outlier in its own way. Um, but I guess you know maybe conceding a few goals makes you work a bit harder on those set pieces and those uh, those moments where you really do have to defend because you know the thing is most of the time from corners and free kicks you don't concede you know, most of the time the defending team is the one that gets the head on the ball or get the goalkeeper gets a punch like look at look at Bournemouth even on Saturday. Seventeen True. corners we had. It was the seventeenth corner from which uh, we scored something. Now I know that the other, the first goal was not directly from a corner, but Emile Smith Rowe headed it back in after Bournemouth yeah, yeah, yeah. cleared it. But for the most part, you know, the defensive players get their head on the ball or get the clearance or make um, make the the right kind of defensive contribution. Um, so I guess it's just going to be a period of that. I think maybe it might just. Bring into a bit more focus some of the, some of the work that we have to do, the commitment with which you have to defend, you know, for ninety minutes in every single game, you know, you have to really work hard to get on the ball in in uh, to win the ball in those situations. So there's going to be a few where it goes against you. I'm not hugely concerned about that, to be honest. I
0: think,
1: yeah, I think, I, I wonder. I'm just thinking about it, trying to think about it from a logical perspective, if. At the start of the season, you know, you have an element of surprise with set pieces uh, that wears off Mm. with time as opposition analysts get to grip with what exactly it is you're doing. Because truth be told, I remember speaking to Andreas Yorkson about this, during the season when you're playing regularly, there isn't a vast amount of time Mm. to innovate and work on new routines because you get – You know, a coach like Miklarteta, there's going to be a lot of focus on in possession, positional play. You might get 15 minutes, 10 minutes at the end of a session Mm. to work with the players on set pieces. Um, And so most clubs are kind of using the same three or four routines across the duration of the season. So maybe there's a degree to which people get wise to that. Mm -hmm. I also think with Arsenal being as good as they are, this is regarding our sort of defence at set pieces. Maybe we're seeing opposition really focus on set pieces as an area where they can hurt us because they know, in terms of possession, you know, Bournemouth had what fifteen twenty percent possession in the game. Mm. It makes perfect sense that they would spend two days working on dead balls, thinking, "Can we get a goal here?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we we played Everton, and we know that's a huge focus for them and for Sean Dyche. I think there is a sort of bigger question about our defending
2: well let me follow up then because we did have a question on the discord from jay tazzy who said although the uh, winning circumstances were completely euphoric is our current defensive sloppiness a real worry when we notice ramsdale and talk about him much more it's concerning Uh, we did reference aaron ramsdale the contribution he made to this and some of the previous games as well
1: that is true i would say that Because the Aston Villa game is in relatively close proximity, it is tempting to sort of imagine that all our games are like this. But in between those two matches, we had Leicester away, which, although a narrow scoreline, was a pretty controlled performance where they did not have a chance, really, Um, apart from that one moment where the ball was flashed across goal. And then the Everton game, where, yes, Ramsdale made a great save, but it was to preserve a clean sheet at 4-0 up in stoppage time. And, mm. you know, it's not like we haven't shown any kind of defensive security. Um, I suppose it's just the consistency with which we're doing it that's maybe a bit of a worry. Um, it's it's hard, you know, we play a higher risk brand of football these days mm. than we have at any point, really, under Mikel Arteta previously. We're a lot less conservative. We leave Gabriel and Saliba to mop an enormous amount up. Um, We've been without Thomas Partey for a period as well, sitting in front of the defence, which generally I think makes us stronger. Um, So yes, it is a bit of a concern. and, And I think I'd like to see us put together a little run of clean sheets, but there are some extenuating circumstances around it too. Yeah, I think that's fair.
2: And I, like I said earlier, I think the the simple fact that you're in this position going into the final 10, 12 games, there's a just a measure of mayhem that comes into, into the games and into the encounters because you're either playing somebody who's fighting for a European place, fighting for the title, fighting to avoid relegation. There's a sort of, there's just more goes on, I think. Um, and I think over the course of a season, you have to look at probably, and this isn't just applicable to Arsenal, I think there's a physical aspect that comes into it as well. Because you've been mm-hmm. playing all season long and and dips in form here or just a tiny bit of tiredness in one performance or one player not quite at his best and all of a sudden, you know, you've conceded a few goals. Um, and look, you can even go back to the Brighton game just after the World Cup. You know, there's another game where We were winning comfortably. It ended up being a bit crazy. There was the Leeds game earlier in the season. So we do have moments like this. It's not like we've been completely perfect all the time. I just think there are going to be games where it looks a bit crazy. And I think, uh, you know, the weekend was and the Villa game was. But you're right to point out that between that, the Leicester game and the Everton game, you know, we controlled very well. So,
1: yeah, they were pretty serene, really. Mm. You know, I I, I know that... um, Everton, we were slightly flattered by the scoreline at half-time, but um, they're the kind of performances that really exhibit control. Yeah. I, for, for the sake of my heart, I hope we have a few more yes. of those between now and the season. Me too, me too. Um, um, what about this one okay. uh, from the Discord? Uh, what's this now? It says, goodly evening. I don't know where they're based, but there you go. Um, it was probably last Tommy.
2: night when... Uh, when I posted the call for questions, you
1: see. so That would be a, a better explanation. Tommy, as in Tommy Asu, seems like he desperately needs a few consecutive games to play out the rust and get back to full sharpness. I really felt for him on Saturday, knowing how good he can be. Do you think he'll get that chance before the end of the season? Will the Europa League games be enough game time to play his way back into contention?
2: I guess it depends on how many Europa League games there are. Um... That's true. I mean, that was, I think that was a fairly atypical Tommy performance based on everything that we've seen from him in the time that mm-hmm. he's been at the club. You know, he's usually really, really solid. Um, I talked about the combination between Ben White and Bakayo Saka, which I think is very strong. I'm not sure he quite has that, but you know, this time last season, we were praying for Tommy to be fit. Absolutely desperate for him to be fit so I accept he had a bad game and I think he's been in and out this season it is difficult to find form when you're not playing regularly I think every player would would tell you that Um, but I think he will start in the Europa League on Thursday Um, and I think it'll be beneficial for him Um,
1: it's interesting how fast it changes isn't it Yeah, last season he was a shout certainly for our player of the year
2: um, Until the point that he got injured. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you now, know.
1: you know, he's probably not in that first choice back four. And when Ben White comes on, you can kind of see why. Yeah, but I don't, uh, I, I I, I love having him as, as a
2: squad option. Like I don't, yeah. it's not that I've lost faith in him. I think we can all see that he's not playing at his best, but as a squad option, I think it's still a a brilliant one to have. And, um, you know, you talk about how quickly it changes. It can change quickly the other way too.
1: You're absolutely right. And I I also think maybe he's not in the first choice back four, but I think he's the fifth defender. And I I think you can make the case that if any member of that back four were to come out, he might be the next in line. You know, if you lost Ben White, sure, he'd bring Tommy Asu in. But I think there's a chance that if you lost zinchenko you'd bring tommy asu in and i think it's cool. center half too you know we've got rob holding who yes he's experienced but tommy is international center half of japan kivio's barely played for us i think there are four positions across the defense where he could have a part to play between now and the end of the season.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, We did have a question about Kivior actually from Joe, who's at Red and White 11, who said, Goodly morning, fellas. Can you envisage Kivior getting minutes in the Premier League this season without injury slash suspension to Gabrielle?"
1: No. (laughs) No, me neither. I don't think so. Unless unless our race is run and we're, or let's say, unless we're on our uh, kind of title celebration tour... Uh, for the last few games, after we after win it at the Etihad or something. Yeah. Um, if it's going to the last day, I don't think he will start a Premier League game. Do you think
2: he'll start on
1: Thursday? I really don't know. I mean, Arteta was asked about him because he played in for the 21s, didn't mm. he, the other day. And he intimated, you know, we we'll, we'll see him or we'll need him soon, which made me think... Maybe he will. Mm. Do you think he will?
2: I think I think he will because I think it would be like if Gabrielle gets an injury or if Gabrielle gets a suspension, you you don't want to throw a guy in who's completely cold.
1: Right. And so he it's has an him. opportune time to, yeah. to give him a game.
2: You know, he he started seventeen out of eighteen Serie A games for Spezia before he joined. So he was playing regularly. And now he's not playing at all apart from that little run out for the 21s. But if you're signing him because you feel you need that backup for the left-sided central defender, I think you have to give him some minutes at some point. You, If you've paid, you know, decent money for him, then why not? Why not play him against Sporting? Um I think he he probably needs the minutes. I'm fascinated as to what kind of a team he's going to put out on on Thursday, how much he's going to change. Um, You know, with a difficult away trip coming up on Sunday at Fulham, it's going to be really interesting to see this team Mm. Um, but maybe that's a question for uh, for our preview podcast. We'll do a preview pod on Patreon for this one uh, as well. Uh, we might have that discussion, but I do think in terms of Kivior, it would make sense to me to play him in, in this game on Thursday.
1: Yeah, I, I could see it. I could see it. I think in the league, it will only be if it's a necessity. And Agreed. even then, as I said, I, I wonder if someone like Tommy Asu or Holding might be, uh, a safer bet for Arteta given their experience maybe but we know he likes to left foot centre half so we will see I mm-hmm. guess a lot will depend on how he does if he does play yeah Um Low on Discord said any thoughts on Reese Nelson's future he's had a few moments of brilliance for the club this season but I'm not sure we should be making a big commitment to him off just 87 minutes of action we're just a few months on his contract. We can't sell him. Would you sign him to a new deal? And if so, under what terms?
2: There's a story going around this morning that, that uh, there's discussions or talks yeah. over a new deal.
1: Sammy Mockbell, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's accurate.
2: Well sourced. Um, I mean, I can see how it makes sense. You mentioned in the first half he's a player that Mikel Arteta has a lot of belief in or or certainly has spoken highly of his talent. There are various reasons why he hasn't played as much as he has, injury being one of them. The other one, I suppose, is that he is mostly a, a right-sided player or has been mostly a right-sided player, and he's got Bakayo Saka ahead of him there. I know he came on on the left um, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. What, what makes me think is we have spoken a lot about not being able to sell well, and I think Reece Nelson at 23, lose him for free. Another one who's gone for free. How big of a commitment on top of what you've already given to Reece Nelson do you have to make to get him to sign a new deal at this point? Like, because he, it's very different from Bakayo Saka, where you're going. Uh, this young man has earned a massive pay rise a huge contract based on his talent and his potential. You know, he's done it week in, week out, week in, week out for Arsenal for the last two years, two and a half years, whatever it is, you know. The consistency that he has shown and, and everything else means that the deal he gets is going to be massive, substantial uh, increase on on what he's got already, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think with Reece Nelson, there's a lot more room to negotiate a a contract which acknowledges his talent but also acknowledges the fact that he hasn't played a great deal as well as you know his potential role within the squad is likely to be that of a squad player. The question I think is for Mikel Arteta and, and Edu is like, do they think he's got what it takes to contribute to this team both in the Premier League and I think he's shown that this season there are certain games where he's good enough to do that but can he do it in the Champions League as well does he keep the level of the squad high enough do we go out and buy another wide player for example if we let him go there's a need for another wide player we know that Mikel Arteta has been after another winger for for quite some time you know does it does renewing him make that kind of arrival more difficult in the summer if that's what we want to do or is the commitment we made to Leandro Trossard, you know, does that mean that we look in house for that little bit of extra depth and solution? I don't know. You know, it is a really interesting one, but I feel like he's the kind of player that if you did sign to a new deal, it wouldn't be prohibitive, you know, in financial terms, nor would it be prohibitive to a potential sale in, in, 18 months two years time if if things don't work out
1: that's kind of where i'm at i sort of think given the degree of investment in his development it does feel like it would be a shame to let him go for nothing um i understand that if you keep him you're paying him for that time but i feel like there may be a value in reese nelson whether that's having stuck around at Arsenal as a kind of peripheral squad player or having been set out on a loan again, building that value. Um, I, I, yeah, I I think that there's more logic to extending him Mm. than losing him for free personally. Yeah. That would be kind of where I am. But I'm not saying he is the answer and, you know, good job we didn't sign Mudrik because we've got Reese Nelson or, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I, I, but the thing about what I would say about Reese Nelson is I don't think, I don't really have very many doubts about his talent at all. Um, I think he's got enormous talent. I think he was at one point, one of the most exciting young players in the country. there just been a lot of different barriers that have prevented him fulfilling mm. that and the question is now like, can he make up for that lost time um, but he showed us his talent on Saturday yeah uh, and he's he's done it previously I really 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 would love to see him make a success of it at Arsenal Uh but I think it will be difficult just because of how much competition there is yeah
2: well it's a decision that I think we can trust the manager and the club to make you know um, yeah it's probably on,
1: not one they have to make right now.
2: Well Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. His contract is up at the end of the season. So True. Yeah. Um Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's something that they had in mind anyway. Who knows? Who knows? I don't think they give a guy a contract based on one last minute goal though. You know, that's not the way it works.
1: Ten year deal for East yeah. for that moment. I, I mean I, I, <laughs> I, wouldn't I, I wouldn't blame
2: him. I did him. like this one from uh Fatima. Hojaji, I think it is, apologies if I'm not pronouncing that right, at Gunnar Hojaji on Twitter. Goodly morning, gentlemen. Should Reese Nelson get a 24-foot statue in the middle of London? I think right now there'd be plenty of people um, having finished their business in Leicester Square who'd give a hand. Um, <laughs> I did have one here I uh, wanted to ask you before we uh, call thing. I've got one more after this, but uh, where is it gone? Uh, f- Ooh, how do you pronounce that? When well, I can't see it, falconed Falkend on the Discord said, "Goodly okay. evening." As I type this, but I've seen very mixed reviews about Fabio Vieira's performance uh, on Saturday. I was wondering what was your take?
1: I thought he was all right. I thought hmm? he was pretty, pretty. Yeah, I thought it was good. He had some nice touches. My attitude going in was kind of like, well, if he can't play at home to Bournemouth, can't you know? When are you going to play?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I was interested to see how he got on. I think largely he did well. Um I, as I said right at the top of the show, I just had a slight sort of nagging thing of what do we lose without Shaka. I, I do feel like the flaws in Shaka's game are probably more eye-catching than the strengths. And so, you know, we might see him lose possession in the final third and take real note of that, but do we take note of the stability that he can bring to the same degree? I'm not so sure. Um, So my thoughts were less about Vieira underperforming and more about, do we miss Shaka? But I thought Vieira, you know, he did okay. What do you think?
2: I thought he was quite good. Um, I think his movement is really sharp. And I do wonder if it might just take a few games for other players to get used to that. Because mm-hmm. I think he does move in a different way from from Granite Xhaka. I think Xhaka's natural inclination is to sit just a little bit deeper, whereas Vieira's is, is to spin and maybe get in behind or, or get behind defenders into spaces. And you could see a couple of times where he did make those uh, movements, make those runs, and the ball didn't get to him. And when you've been used to playing with one guy in that position pretty much all season, when a new guy comes in, and you're actually not looking for him to do exactly what Shaka does, yeah. you're actually asking him to bring his own flavor to the position, it can take a few games for for someone to settle into the team and for those players around him to get used to him. So I thought he was pretty good, tackled well a couple of times. Um, and like, like you said, you know, this is a home game against Bournemouth. I think this is part of, did we talk about this last week? I think this is part of the process of getting him into the team with a bit more frequency. You know, the substitute appearances for Shaka on 70 minutes, 75 minutes. You know, we haven't really seen that before. And I think it's just part of the process of, of integrating him more regularly into the first team. And, You're right. Uh,
1: and Shaka starting on the bench, I think we've seen that even less. Yeah, exactly. So that's indicative of something, a shift happening. Um, I, I don't know how much more we'll... See so, yeah, it? I mean, I imagine he'll play in Portugal as I well. I think so,
2: yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh I think probably Shack I think probably Xhaka will and, and Vieira might play instead of Martin Odegaard or something like that. We shall see. Mm. Um tune into the preview pod for yeah. Andrew's thoughts. But yeah, I he he had some really, really nice silky touches. I mean, he's clearly got huge talent. I think we're gonna over time see more of him in this position. Um and I think it would be wrong to kind of conflate Arsenal being too down with his presence in the team I think mm. I think it was a bigger a bigger issue
2: okay the final one for today because we didn't make much reference to it because we've had far too much of our own stuff going on but obviously the game at Anfield yesterday was mm. objectively hilarious very funny very 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 funny um, where's the bit I was watching the clip of your man what's his name Oh, uh here he is. Here he is. Goldbridge.
1: I'm gone. I'm finished. No. No. Bloody hell,
2: no. Um there's a there's a still of him hiding behind his chair like he's a a 6-year-old child watching a scary episode of Doctor Who. It's really quite something. Um but on the Discord steam pedals says, "What is your joy dread ratio?" After watching Liverpool pump seven past United, my joy was up 7-0, but then Dred scored one in stoppage time.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like that Wario meme. Uh, I've won, but at what cost? <laughs> <You know. laughs> Liverpool looked like Liverpool, slightly alarmingly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the good news is they go to Manchester City in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, the bad news is I think we're their next opponent at Anfield in the league.
2: They'll they'll be tired after winning that game against Man City, you see.
1: That's true, actually. Yeah, that's true. They'll probably want to rotate heavily. All Um, the kids. All the kids. Going to Anfield is always hard. That's the reality. Even if Liverpool were on a bad run, our record at that stadium tells us it's going to be difficult. Uh, I do think as hilarious as the result yesterday was, and it was absolutely Hysterical. Don't get me wrong. There, It was also kind of freakish. Like it reached the point where every time Liverpool went forward, they were scoring goals. Um, I think that we can give them a game. Certainly more of a game than that.
2: I don't think those are famous last words. Um, I think you're right. It was a bit freakish. It was very, 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 very freakishly funny. Um, like the... <laughs> Caraher taking a selfie of Neville.
0: <laughs> I know. I
2: know. And Neville telling him to do one live on air. Says, if you're if you're a Manchester United team, you don't get beaten 7-0. You do today, says Caraher. And then Neville I mean, goes, do
1: one. I mean It was a it was a true collapse. <laughs> and honestly, like it, it it we know, we've had a lot of talk about leaders and leadership.
2: Mm, yeah, look like Man United uh Lacked a few leaders there yesterday. Wow.
1: I mean, their captain is Bruno Fernandes. I mean, what more do you want to know? (laughs) But, uh, yeah, very, very funny. Uh, a, A shame. Well, is it a shame that Liverpool are back? I mean, to be honest, we probably want Liverpool back because they're our best hope of Tottenham falling out of the Champions League. So if it means Liverpool can finish above Spurs and push them out of the top four, so be it i just need them to have an off day revert to their first half of the season form when we when we visit anfield
2: beat the fuck out of manchester city but do so at what cost exactly injuries suspensions fatigue we're so tired what can we do when we're facing arsenal we've only got james milner and 10 children to play in this game such a such a shame uh, that it's worked out that way. But look, what can we do against the, the common enemy of Manchester City?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, it's, listen, Fair Play to United, they've, they've had a decent run. They've, you know, turned the corner a bit. But I do think some of the praise of them has been a bit overblown. I mean, they won the League Cup with exclusively home draws, beating Aston Villa, Burnley, Charlton, Nottingham Forest, and Newcastle with Loris Karius in goal. Like, Mm. I think it's it's been a little bit exaggerated how far they've come. Um, And yes, they've been sort of on the fringes of the title picture, but I do think that that defeat shows that uh, they're not quite the force they've been made out to be Mm. in recent weeks.
2: I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. Right. We will let everybody uh, get their ears into this because we've been recording for what feels like a really long time (laughs) at this point. Um, There's just been so much going on. We hope, as always, that you've enjoyed the show after what was an amazing weekend for Arsenal, uh, an amazing weekend of football. Uh, we'll discuss all the Premier League action in the 30, which will be over on Patreon a little bit later on today. Myself and Phil Costa. Like I said, we'll have a preview podcast ahead of the first leg against Sporting Lisbon. We'll do that for you on Wednesday. For now, thank you as always for listening, and we will catch you on the next one.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Selling a little or a lot?